We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. First pick in the 1991 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select Larry Johnson from University of Virginia. I'm not supposed to be here, man. A lot of people from where I'm from, you know, don't, don't make it. Charlotte, we're back. Welcome to another edition of Buzz Beat. This is Richie. And we hopped on Twitter spaces following the first preseason game against the Boston Celtics. Lee, Brian, and myself recapped the game, went over the highs and the lows, tried not to overreact and tried not to sugarcoat some of the things that went poorly. Uh, but we did do this live. And if you guys wanted to join us more frequently for these Twitter spaces episodes, make sure you guys are following the podcast at BuzzBeatPod on Twitter. You guys will get notifications the minute we do go live. We're going to try to do more of these post-game pods on Twitter. Field your questions. We really like the participation from the speakers. We did get a speaker request, uh, but we're trying to aim for more participation from you guys. Uh, But for you guys to do that, you have to be with us live. So uh, this is our conversation uh, after the game on Twitter spaces. I will say that if you're not there Live, you do get a little bit of an abridged version. So this conversation was cut down a little bit, but overall, we did a good job of breaking down the loss to the Boston Celtics. So let's go ahead and get into it. All right. Thanks again for tuning in to another BuzzBeat, a Charlotte Hornets podcast. This is Richie, and we are live here on Twitter Spaces. We're going to start calling these episodes that we do uh, on Twitter Spaces Buzzins. Uh, this is our first post-game buzzin, albeit a preseason one and a bad loss, 134-93 to to the Boston Celtics. I'm joined by Lee and Brian today. I hope you guys are doing well. Lee, we're watching some preseason basketball on, on a football Sunday. Yeah, yeah. I was telling you guys off air that... A couple of my buddies were just completely flat, fat, flabbergasted that I was tweeting <laughs> that I was tweeting uh, Hornets preseason basketball during a uh, prime NFL. But you know, like I had red zone on the background. Like, you yeah. know, come on. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, we can multitask in this day and age. So, exactly. um, yeah, no, great, great Sunday afternoon way to kick off. You know, a forty point loss. You gotta love it. <laughs> How's it going over there, BG? 
Uh, doing pretty well. And yeah, today felt like a, uh, we can, we can discuss it, but today did feel like a, a sign of things to come, but I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I was on the road a little bit recently last weekend, um, was out in Denver, Colorado for a wedding and, uh, we actually ran into a, a Buzzbeat listener at the a bar Whoa. out there one night. Um, wow. wanted to yell about why the Hornets, uh, are in the situation they're in right now. So that was cool. But uh, anyways, good to be on with you guys. Good to have, good to have the Hornets back. And um, yeah, I mean, just one preseason game against a good opponent. I think Boston looked awesome and uh, pretty rough showing today from Charlotte. Yeah, I think they made the NBA finals last year. So they are a pretty, pretty yeah. decent team. So I think we're just going to jump into this. Uh, we are doing this on Spaces, so if uh, we have time for it, we'll leave some room for some speaker requests as well. Uh, but I just wanted to give my quick thoughts on the game, and then we can kind of get a little bit deeper as the conversation goes along. But one thing that I was just very interested in was the pace of play with Clifford. Uh, he's so used to uh, getting his defense set up, getting his players back, uh, that that also bleeds over to the offensive end. And we saw that in his first stint here in Charlotte that he was a very methodical coach, slowing things down. But that wasn't the case today. He let the team play to their strengths, push the pace, uh, be a little frenetic at times. And for this team to be, quote unquote, successful uh, and more watchable this season, I think Clifford needs to let this be a part uh, of their DNA. And half-court offense will be a struggle. It's going to be inconsistent uh, this season with the lack of on-the-ball playmakers you know, outside of LaMelo Ball. So to get the team uh, in the spots where they need to create advantages, they're probably going to have to do it through uh, a lot of transition offense. Now, having said that, knowing Clifford and what he requires of the team on the defensive side of the court, he may have to go deeper into his bench and play more players in his rotation because he expects so much effort and you know defensive intensity on that end. So that's what I was looking for today as well. And I thought for the most part, we saw a little bit more effort and energy on defense despite giving up a ton of three-point shots. Because I don't think all those three-point shots were necessarily, I guess, of a breakdown on defense. It was just, you know, Jalen Brown, Tatum, uh, these players just hitting shots that were, some of them were just tough. So I will say this, like if the Hornets decide to keep pushing the pace, you know, obviously they're going to have to get back on defense as well. And Clifford's going to expect a lot out of them on defense. Uh, I did see them use drop coverage a couple of times with Plumlee. I think it's important for Oubre or whoever that point of attack defender is fights through that screen so that the bigs aren't having to cover two areas at once for that long of time. Uh, because there was a play in the first half where LaMelo had to come off the corner shooter uh, to help that out. And Clifford, uh, his first time around three point defense was an issue. So um, also too, I will say this, I mean, I turned up the volume, but I feel like Clifford was very uh, active and he was yelling out directives on the sidelines, which is good to hear. So, Lee, I know there's other stuff that we can get into and, and plenty of sloppy play with preseason. Uh, but what were your initial thoughts and, you know, what were you looking for out of game one of the preseason? Yeah, well, I, I tweeted uh, prior to the game and these are two more like macro conversations mm -hmm. that I'm not going to dive too deep in just yet. But obviously, uh, what is Clifford going to do? How is he going to negotiate the minutes as of, of like offensive caretaking when the mellow balls on the bench. And 
Of course, also, what is the center rotation going to look like? Um, but other than that, I think like, which certainly we're going to dive into, but other than that, I do think it's like, we just got beat by 41 points. The Celtics like knocked in everything they shot. I mean, they shot 57% from the floor, 46% from three, 80% from the free throw line. So, you know, Boston is a very, very good basketball team, even without Robert Williams, who didn't have tonight, uh, who is a guy that gives us fits. But like Jalen Brown looked incredible. Tatum looked awesome. Grant Williams was awesome. Pritchard had more. I mean, everybody for, for Boston contributed tonight. Malcolm Brogdon, I thought, looked like pretty healthy and was moving pretty well, which is a good sign uh, for Celtics fans. Hornets didn't have Martin and Hayward, who are two of the most important players on, in this rotation, particularly when you're playing a team with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Oubre started at the three. BG already fired off a couple hilarious tweets about uh, Tsunami Poppy's defense. Uh, in mid-season form, as he said on Twitter. And so, so, so like, when you factor all those things in, first game for, for Steve Clifford, uh, no Martin, no Hayward, playing a Boston team that is just, like, incredibly in sync and, and, and moves the ball around, uh, pops it around like maniacs and bangs in all kinds of shots, then, like, it's, it's, it's not exactly um, an excuse or it's not exactly comforting, but, like, that, that is important context, I think. And then, you know, I think we'll get into some of the bright spots. Like, there, there were some bright spots tonight, particularly Jalen McDaniels, who I'm sure we'll hit on as well. So those are kind of my, like, general overview thoughts without getting into more of the particulars that, that I hope we could talk about as well. Yeah, would first off and just say I agree with Lee. I thought Boston, they looked great. They looked in sync. They looked like they had a good rhythm. I know it's been a couple of last few weeks have been – Tough for them as or as an organization, not just the stuff with Ime Yudoka, but also being dealt the the Rob Williams news. And I mean, it might be the middle of the season, hopefully, before they get that guy back. And fingers crossed that he's healthy because he's such an impactful and fun defensive player and, and you know worker on the offensive glass. No Gallinari, obviously, it does feel like Sam Hauser can at least give them some of that spacing and shooting. Uh, to help make up for the loss of Ga- uh, Gallo and Hauser played pretty well today, shot it really well. Uh, there were a couple of breakdowns from Ho- the Hornets defensively that allowed him to get, you know, really just wide open spot up threes or pick and pop threes. If Spencer were here, I think he would want us to do a little wahoo wah. So good for the Cavs and uh, or UVA fans and, and good for, um, for Sam Hauser. Um, back to the Hornets, though. This it's just one preseason game. There's almost no reason to pull that much from it. Um, I feel like anything you're going to pull from a preseason game is it, just going to be laced with like confirmation bias, you know. And and also, it's this is not a regular season NBA game, and it's the first one. So you want to take everything with a grain of salt. Everything comes with the with those caveats, obviously. And the Hornets are on the road. And they're missing Hayward and Martin, and Hayward is hands down the the number two you know playmaker and creator on this roster behind Lamella Ball. There's a big gap between one and two, but there's probably a pretty big gap between two and three as the roster is currently uh, constituted. So to not have him, to not have Cody Martin, obviously not good. But this game did highlight, I think, a lot of concerns that I have about the Hornets half-court offense. Rich, you started this by talking about Clifford and the pace and 
Look, I think ultimately when you have a player like LaMelo, this one-of-a-kind player, hit-ahead passer, a uh, guy who really likes to get it and go, can grab a rebound and, and push the pace instantly, doesn't even need, only needs guys to run with him, you know, can just you know grab a long rebound and, 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 and start running with it. So I do think the pace is going to be there, and I think at times it's going to have to be there because I just don't see how this team is going to become a reliable half court offense, save for they get somehow they get 65, 75 games out of Gordon Hayward and he's playing at a, at a high, at a high level. You know, maybe if you get a big time jump from someone like PJ Washington, who struggled shooting the ball today, thought he had some nice moments defensively, but unless you get really sort of like outlier growth from someone like he or, or book Knight, who, by the way, this is not a good, nope. uh, not a good James book night uh, game today. One of nine from the field. Oh, four from deep. Uh, he couldn't get by Sam Hauser. He couldn't get by Peyton Pritchard. Pretty concerning in that regard. Uh, early on in the game, I, I like some of the actions that Charlotte ran to get, uh, try to get Terry going off the basketball that they started the game with a little pistol set into a throwback action for Rozier. Uh, Boston covered it up and their switching and their help really took away a lot of stuff. The Hornets were trying to do in the half court. So again, that's sort of part of the problem too, but I just think even against defenses that aren't elite like Boston, and this may be the best defense in the world. It, it was a year ago. I just think you're gonna have nights like this where where you're just, the, the shots are going to in the half court are going to be really, really tough. Nothing came easy tonight at the rim. It, fe- it felt like they didn't get an easy look mm-hmm. at the rim and half in, in the half court until the second half. So all in all, I think I would say pretty disappointing offensive showing from the Hornets defensively that, you know, they couldn't keep the ball in front and Boston's got the power on the wing and in the backcourt to get North South could also see early on defensively, you know, Jalen Brown bullies Lamella ball for a, a, a slash and a dunk. Uh, Terry Rozier getting beat off the dribble. Terry Rozier defensive breakdowns as usual. Kelly Oubre, all of the just the, his defense tonight was <laughs> it's just it was abysmal, man. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. Look, it's it's one thing if you can't keep Jason Tatum in front of you. That's that's really, really hard to do. But three times, at least three times in this game. Ubre off ball defense getting cooked by simple either split action or a flare screen from the Celtics wide open threes off the catch. I don't know, not a ton of positives to take. It's certainly on the offensive side of the floor for uh, the Hornets. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. 
Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, let's let's try to get into some positives or some noteworthy things before we get into the discussion about the backup point card, which you guys were both alluding to, and, and maybe the backup center position as well. I don't know if Ball was necessarily a bright spot per se, uh, because his shooting was a little bit off, uh, maybe not so much in the second half, but the first half definitely. Uh, but there were definitely some good things with him. I do think he needs to slow down at times. You know, obviously he's a guy that just relishes pushing the ball up the court at any time, uh, but sometimes he can get too frantic with it. But I thought the pull-up mid-range shot that he hit to open the game was something that I hope we see more from him moving forward. I know that Cliff talks about him getting to the rim as much as possible. Like that's an area that he can improve upon. But I almost wonder if improving, you know, the pull-up midi. Uh, will be an easier task for him because he just shies away from contact. He's such a finesse type of player uh, when he gets around the rim, which is fine. Like He'll hit some difficult shots, but I do wonder if that mid-range pull-up game could be something that he could kind of attack um, this season. Uh, and they're going to have to add some more versatility with him and his game and just getting him to different spots. Uh, I know they used him a couple times off ball uh, in today's game out of the corner off some staggered screens. And, um, you know, when he can get ahead of steam coming off those and turning the corner, it gives him the ability to kind of think on his feet quicker than the defenders. He can freelance a little bit. He could force those off ball defenders to commit one way or the other. Uh, Defensively for LaMelo, I think that's one area of improvement that we're going to want to see out of him. I thought he was a little bit more active and, and fighting through screens, but it's really hard to tell how much of Clifford will rub off on LaMelo for the extent of the 82 game season. And I keep going back to this, but I think that's going to be a challenge for Clifford is balancing the energy on both ends of the court, because if they need to push the pace, they also need energy on the offense, you know, on the defensive side of the court as well. And then just two other players I would like to mention, uh, I guess, positive PJ was, he was fairly like quiet. I would say for the most part of the game, he didn't feel like overly involved, especially like in the first quarter, just felt like he was not out there, but I thought his defensive intensity, as usual, uh, was was awesome, was visible. He had that one play in the first half where, I think I highlighted it on Twitter, where he was denying Jalen Brown in the corner. He cuts baseline. P.J. 
is might be like a half step behind, but he's able to slide, recover, swivel his head, and and, and get that steal. He does little things like that. that was beautiful. That was yeah. beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful denial off ball defense from PJ yeah. all the time. He does stuff like that. And then Lee, you mentioned Jalen McDaniel's probably one of the few bright spots on this team. Although, you know, it was in small doses. Like, I think one thing with Jalen, and I, I mentioned this before, he's going to have to, I wouldn't say have to, but it would be nice if he could get a little bit better with the ball in his hands. And I think he showed a little bit of that last year. And then today, he didn't really shy away from putting the ball down and attacking his opponent. So I think we'll see some of those small signs uh, all year. And hopefully, Jalen can kind of fill into that role uh, with that 3 4 position because there's going to be some minutes to be had at that position. So Lee bright spots. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to talk. I do want to talk about McDaniels for a second. You know, it was an interesting, it was really interesting game. I thought from him today, like he was, he, he, he was primarily at the three today more than he, I mean, I mean, last year his role was kind of as, you know, pretty much a backup four, like, and, and particularly offensively, he was really just kind of like a space guy, you know? Um, I mean, like you said, Richard, you, you'd see moments of him, you know, trying to kind of, to kind of explore his creation a little bit, but, but, you know, there was never really any type of like consistent production offensively for him in that way last year. Uh, you know, we've talked about his cutting on this podcast. We've talked about his, you know, uniqueness as a defensive player, a ton on this podcast, but today, I mean, and you just look at the box score, like, McDaniels is a serviceable three-point shooter and he didn't take one tonight. Like everything he had going tonight was like a little bit of dribble combination stuff off the move or, you know, curling, curling on a down screen and getting into the lane, attacking a closeout. I thought he looked pretty comfortable. I thought he had a kind of like elevated sense of confidence um, with the ball in his hands. And I know it's just one game and I know it's just, uh, you know what, 19 minutes tonight, but he was five for seven on the floor. He had a couple finesse touch finishes, uh, uh, contested finishes off the glass around the ba- uh, around the basket tonight. He just seemed to, he just seemed to be like more of a wing out there today than, than he had to me in the past offensively. And of course he still gave you like great effort defensively. He was active and disruptive at times. So I guess the main point I'm trying to make is like, I think that's something to watch, like seeing the position and the function and the role he has in this offense versus what he's been in the past. And I'm not necessarily like, I actually would have liked to see him take a couple threes mm-hmm. tonight. He did it. I think he need. I think that needs to stay in his game, obviously. But uh, I thought it was just like really encouraging to see him take and make some tough shots, create a little bit, have some, have some kind of know-how um, navigating some, some, uh, some pin down screens and things of that nature. Um, so, so that was by, by leaps and bounds, I think probably the highlight of this game. I'd for agree. Me. Yeah. W- well said. I thought McDaniels just to, just to tack on aggressive on the, the glass as always, um, some good activity on the offensive glass. And I, I clipped this and posted it to Twitter. Like I thought one of the best plays they had. And by this point, you know, Boston had, had pulled their main guys. And, and finally we're getting some activity from Mark Williams, who doesn't come on until the, the third quarter. But I thought one of the best possessions Charlotte had tonight was 
it's uh, Dennis Smith Jr. At, is in at point guard. Um, they run a simple ball screen uh, to get him. What JT Thor screens for DSJ. Sam Hauser switches out onto Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, Cabin Gelly, who, who played well uh, for Boston tonight, and, and I thought really was incredibly physical against Mark Williams. But on this possession, he shows help early at the elbow nail area. And uh, DSJ did a nice job sort of seeing, you know, McDaniels, who's being defended by Cabin Gelly, is open on the wing. You know, that's a spot where it could have been a catch and shoot for Jalen McDaniels, but instead he catches on the go and immediately gets downhill. And I thought it was like one of, it was probably the cleanest paint touch that Charlotte had in the half court. He gets it to the front of the rim, help slides over, no look, drop pass, Mark Williams dunk. You know, look again, part of that is Boston's got the, third string in at that point they're voluntarily putting themselves into a so-so switch with Hauser on DSJ and Kevin Gelly's never been much of a defender so he's a little bit heavy footed and out of position but still a nice job by McDaniels to, to to get it and to be the guy that gets the ball from point A to point C being the connector there not just not just a guy that could grab and go in transition or play out of the corners, which we know he can do. Like those are the those are the knowns with Jalen McDaniel. It's sort of the um, what what else can he give you? And we've seen hints of the the catch and go game. We've seen hints of the short roll game, but I think there were some encouraging signs. The aggression level and the mentality looked to be there um, offensively, which which is has to be you know, pretty, pretty darn uh, encouraging. If I were to grab one other sort of uh, positive from this, I mean, I don't think Steve Clifford was showing his entire hand by any stretch this game. Um, I'd love to see sort of like more guard to guard actions, which were such a key component of the James Borrego playbook. You saw them get to some of these UCLA like empty corner pick and roll looks. I liked in the third, I guess it was the, I think it was early third quarter when they took LaMelo off the ball a little bit and that put the ball in Rozier's hands, which is like, I'm not the biggest fan of, but you got a couple of catch and shoot threes for LaMelo because of that. They then that one set, they flowed into empty corner pick and roll with LaMelo and uh, Richard's, uh, I, I believe they got a foul off, draw, drew a foul off of that. So that kind of stuff is good. Um, and I'd like to see even more of that um, going forward, especially in lineups that where you can get Hayward to be the secondary ball handler. And all of a sudden you can set up, put LaMelo into some of these more like attack attack mode situations. And we'll see like if, if DS, if like if the Dennis Smith Jr. And LaMelo backcourt is able to hit a little bit, then I think there's some kind of things you can do where you invert the responsibilities of those two guys and you let DSJ slash and you let LaMelo be the one that's like involved in actions. We know what he does shooting off the catch. We know what he can do as being a connector. And certainly you want the ball in LaMelo's hands as much as possible. It's just sometimes I think we can route that usage differently or we can still, the possession can still end with LaMelo running pick and roll or empty corner pick and roll. But there's some stuff we can do to, to shift the defense around, to move the matchups around a little bit, then flow into that action. So I think there was some um, kind of encouraging stuff in a very limited sample in terms of like some of the ways I think we're going to see Terry Rozier and the mellow ball used this season. 
And you mentioned DSJ, you mentioned the mellow ball. I do want to get into this backup point guard dilemma, but we do have a speaker request that I would like to get to before we have that conversation. So Michael, uh, you were on, what's your, what's your thoughts? Okay. Thank you. Um, and for everyone that pretty much watched the game, can someone please explain the Nick Richards hype? Because I, I just I just don't understand like what, what is the purpose of him being out there. Um, he's still struggling finishing. Um, I just don't understand what we still in like year what four or five for him. Like why is he still out there? That's my only question. Well, it's funny. We were going to talk about the uh, the center rotation as well, so we might as well just talk about that now. I would agree. I tweeted mid-game, just wasn't seeing much of the hype. I know that Clifford has been in love with Nick Richards over the summer, and maybe he's making some strides behind the scenes that we just haven't seen. But he seems like the same old Nick Richards that we've always seen. Mark, you know, with the, with the rookie Mark Williams that we just drafted, uh, what is Nick Richards able to do that is significantly head and shoulders above Mark? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure why Nick Richards is, is getting the nod over Williams because Williams does a lot of the same things that Richards does. It's just a bouncier guy. Like he can be a lob threat. He can, and you want you want to get him in there as soon as possible so that you can kind of develop him as much as possible. And with the way that this team season is going, um, you know that the playoffs are just not necessarily attainable. So play the young guys, play the young kids. And I think Mark Williams is is hopefully going to overtake Nick Richards as that backup center position. But I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on that, BG and uh, and Lee. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Richards uh, a few like a lot the last couple of years, and and there was a, a podcast we recorded over the off season where my, my yeah I laid out my thoughts on Richards. Like I, I don't think anyone of I don't think anyone on this pod thinks he's like terrible. I just think he's like center depth. Like that's it. Like he he maxes out as like a backup five. I think more realistically, he's sort of like your fifth or sixth big guy. Like, you know, he's your third center. Like he's a guy that I think will play in the NBA for a while because he's, he's big and strong enough and and, and inactive enough. And I'm sure those are the kind like stuff related to that are the things that Steve Clifford likes. And, and my guess would be like the one, the stuff that he's doing better than Williams at the stage. I mean, maybe some of it's just being in like the right place a little bit more frequently defensively, um, you know, Williams still having to figure out what depth to be at when he's dropping in the pick and roll versus certain guys coming off the, 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 the ball screen looking to shoot. Um, Williams, I think there was another time where he got stuck a little bit in no man's land on an empty side pin down that turned into a lob for, for Cap and Gelly. But I think probably the main thing is just like lower, might be like something like lower body strength for someone like Richards or Plumley compared to Williams because like, as long and bouncy as Williams can be, and I think he's going to be a good pro for a, for a long time. This was an issue at Duke too. Like when he goes up for rebounds, like he can kind of his center of gravity can kind of like get knocked off kilter a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like you'll see him kind of like flailing and reaching for for rebounds. Uh, Cabin Gelly pushed him out of the paint one time on another uh, offensive rebound opportunity uh, for Boston. So I think that would be the the main thing. I just think Williams is going to have to get stronger, improve the conditioning, and kind of just get his bearings in terms of positioning. I think he'll get there. I really do. And I think, I mean, hell, by the end of the year, 
I'm I'm hoping that he's playing the majority of of or you know they're close to half or something like that of the center minutes. Of course, we didn't see Kai Jones until late in the game, like real late in the game. So where are we at with Kai Jones in terms of center rotation? And of course, no minutes for PJ Washington at the five tonight either. So there's some real stuff to iron out here, especially if you if Nick Richards is actually like just being gifted some not gifted that's that's unfair but if, if you're if you're if you're just if just if say it ryan just say it, it. just like if he's if he's gonna receive this big a part of the rotation a lot can change and think a lot will change but like it's gonna it's gonna mess up the math elsewhere for 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 bringing along some of the younger guys or getting to some of charlotte's best lineups offensively you know i.e when pj is playing a small ball five yeah, I, so I'll just add a couple things because I think y'all hit it all pretty well. Um, if you have been a listener of this pod, you will know that I have been, you know, like like a like a you know a soft Richards proponent. I don't think I've been unrealistic about it, but I, but I have uh, I have liked him as kind of a developmental depth center piece as as BG laid out. Even even with that context. Even I was frustrated today. Um, But what I will say is I I think we can really chalk this up to like Steve Clifford, grizzled veteran coach that uh, sees Nick Richards as a bit more of a professional at this point in his career. And that's like, that's all this is. I hope. Uh, I think that 10, 15 games into the season, I I would like to think that Mark Williams has like completely overtaken Nick Richards as the backup center. And, and who like, obviously this would be potentially a little optimistic, but like at some point you would hope that Mark Williams can start as as, as a center this year. Like, absolutely. So again, like as someone who's, who's seen some bright spots in Nick Richards, you know, he had some moments last year. I think he is rosterable, and, and I think that's about where it ends. I think he's a – you've got an injury early February and you're on the road and Nick Richards needs to play 15 minutes. Like, that's not a disaster if it's a once-in-a-while type of thing. You don't want him playing 19 minutes a night like he did tonight. And BG hit on – uh, one of the biggest rotation points I wanted to make during this um, center chat, and that was zero P- zero uh, minutes for PJ Washington at the five tonight. I've got forty four center minutes between Richards, Plumley, and Williams, and then there was a little bit of kind of Kai Jones mixed in there. I think a little bit at the four and the five. So I, I think my thought there is maybe BG. That was a little bit of what you were alluding to when you said that Clifford didn't really show a whole lot of his hands tonight because I have to assume that PJ at the five is still going to be a pretty big part of this rotation and that Clifford just kind of knows what he has there. He knows that's been the most successful lineup for the Hornets. He knows he has it in the back pocket as his kind of ace in the whole lineup. And he doesn't necessarily need to trot it out there in the regular or preseason excuse me, and that he just wants to put the centers out there as much as possible to see what he has there. And and then obviously once the season starts, you, you've got to think we'll see a bunch of PG at the bottom. Yeah, and that's also why the Hornets lost by 40. We're, we're, we're definitely going to um, trick them into thinking uh, we're, we're better than this. But no, 
False sense of security. Yeah. I think where I'm going to be most frustrated with is if the Hornets are out of the playoff picture by January, February, and you're still seeing Richards minutes over Williams. Like, okay, give them, give them the nod to start the season. But if things are going south in the way that I think that it will, I don't think there's much of a reason to have Richards playing. Now, the other conversation we need to have is the backup point guard uh, position. Uh, tonight, or I guess today, Rozier was primarily used as that backup point guard, if you want to call it that. DSJ didn't come in until late in the third quarter. Uh, the team was very listless, lethargic uh, when Ball left the court, which I think almost anyone could have expected. There is just no penetration, no ball movement, no breaking down of the defense, and it's funny, like Clifford talked about the Hornets being one of the better teams and getting paint touches. You know, if they can't do that this year with that backup, um, you know, rotation in the point guard position, uh, it's going to be tough sledding for them. And some of their paint touches came way too late in the shot clock. And the defense, you know, Boston's a great defensive team, but the defense wasn't having to work as much uh, just because it felt like the primary ball handler wasn't able to create any kind of advantage. And I'm not saying that DSJ is the answer guys. I do think, or I would love to see what he can do Wednesday. I think that's the next game Wednesday uh, with maybe better talent around him as the backup point guard. Um, He had garbage time tonight, which is, you know, very hard to judge, you know, even it's even harder when it's preseason garbage time. So this issue definitely needs to be figured out sooner rather than later. And, I don't think going into the season with a backup point guard by committee is going to be very beneficial. And obviously the options are are limited, but they're, they're going to have to figure out what they're doing. And I just, this just seems to be an issue with Charlotte for the last handful of years, just not having a solidified backup point guard since like Jeremy Lin. And, and one thing too, um, Lee mentioned book night earlier. I, I never expected him to be the backup point guard, but man, were his dribbles tonight just wasted? Like it, it, he was not making a lot of headway, like a lot of dribble moves, but it didn't really equate to anything. And when you add that on top of the, you know, lack of backup point guard play, uh, it just was not forcing the defense to work at all. Yeah. I just don't think, uh, book is like a talented, like young player. Like I, I just, I don't think the handle nor the passing are there right now. And so, that's that's why I've always been sort of skeptical of him being like the microwave guy that you just bring off the bench and have him prop up a second unit. I'd love to see it. Um, I'm hopeful that you could get there. Richie, when you and I recorded last week, I said, I think the hope has to be that this guy can be a, a person that, that can prop up and, and be a scorer, like an efficient scorer off the bench. But like book night strengths, like as a, as a driver and a creator is there's kind of like a funky offbeat nature to his game, right? Where he, you can see his creativity and his ability to sort of like tack attack guys one-on-one in the in-between spaces in the in-between steps. And he just kind of right now needs space to be able to do that and asking him to operate in tight windows or to just like drive around guys, um, it's tough. And that's even before we get to some of the issues he has finishing at the, the basket through contact. Like that was a huge concern of his last year. Um, um, one game preseason sample did not look great uh, tonight. And for me, man, it's just like, I was thinking about this during the game today. Like it is a bummer that uh, two seasons ago, just two seasons ago, 
the Hornets, here's what they had in terms of ball handlers. LaMelo Ball, <laughs> LaMelo Ball, Devontae Graham, Malik Monk, Gordon Hayward, Miles Bridges, then Terry Rozier. And like, man, I mean, LaMelo's still here and Terry is still here and Gordon is here half the time when he's healthy. But, you know, <laughs> like you let Malik Monk walk for nothing. You traded Devontae Graham. Um uh, ultimately that, that became the, the, the Mark Williams pick. So that's something, but you also shipped out your other first round pick from this past season. So you could, you could save some money. <laughs> and so you trade Jalen Duran, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, you, you get, you just, whether it was your fault or not, like you're all of a sudden you're out, like all of these ball handlers, that either gave you pull-up shooting and that gravity you could play off of, or they gave you guys that could touch the paint off of a live dribble. And you gave all the, like half of those guys are gone and you got nothing in return from those transactions to help like replace some of that pick and roll uh, primary ball handler creation. Um, and it's a huge issue for this team right Lee, now. I'll let you get to this in a second. I, I totally forgot about the Devonte Graham. I, I went all the way back to Jeremy Lin back to 2016, but yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. So Devonte Graham was a, a productive backup point guard. I do wonder, I mean, it wouldn't have changed everything, but I do wonder how Gordon Hayward and Cody Martin would have changed some things, uh, with some playmaking responsibilities tonight. So Lee, go ahead and finish this off with the, uh, the backup point guard dilemma. Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's certainly the half glass full take is like when Gordon Hayward out there, he is kind of your de facto, uh, quote unquote, backup point guard in a way because he just facilitates so much. He's such a I mean, even the Boston commentators were like, this is a totally different team with Gordon Hayward on the floor. And they're right. Uh, obviously the caveat to that is you, you only get that about 50 times a year, you know, optimistically. So, um, I, I, I could, I could probably go into, uh, some sort of like cold sweat talking about this backup point guard situation. I mean, you look at the resources that the Hornets have attempted to pour into this, um, you know, void. And the, the, those resources are essentially, you know, they took a shot at Grant Riller with like the 56th pick. They brought in Brad Wanamaker for half a season. They brought in Isaiah Thomas uh, at the, whatever the word that describes past the twilight of, of the career, like what, like, is that like the, the early morning? Like it was going into the next day, honestly, is what it was like. And then, and then of course you had the, the Ishmith, you know, kind of half a season and then, you know, like, yes, they, they drafted Bryce McGowan's in this cycle, but he's, he's a developmental prospect that I like a lot, but not someone that you can expect to contribute as like a facilitator and caretaker of NBA offense. So another thing is like, how much did we all talk about prior to the prior to last season? After, you know, all those ball handlers that Brian just laid out, how much did we talk about, like, Mitch Kupchak and the front office are making their big bet. They are pushing all the chips in the LaMelo ball playmaking basket. And that wasn't the wrong decision, I don't think. This became a top 10 offense after that offseason. And LaMelo ball is an incredibly unique, amazing young player. But, like, 
that didn't have to be mutually exclusive to not having a backup point guard. And this team just continually uh, refuses to put any type of meaningful resources into that void. Brian, you hit on something again. Uh, great minds think alike. You know, we've, we've got a ton of synergy on this podcast, clearly, because I had literally written down in my notes, we had a backup point guard named Devontae Graham. And I know it's not particularly prescriptive or helpful to, like, bring that back up because he's gone now and the Hornets made their decision. But my goodness, would it be nice to have him on this roster? Um, Devontae Graham was a really good passer and a really good shooter, and he had tons of deficiencies But the two things that we really need off the bench, he brought to the table. And so it it just it's it's really frustrating because, you know, and and to be fair, obviously, it's been they did spend a lottery pick on 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 James Booknight. But again, he he's just like he wasn't coming into this league. Even the most optimistic proponents of James Booknight would not have made the argument for him as a facilitator for others that, that, that was not his positive qualities to draw on as, as a draft prospect. So, you know, I think the problem here is, and Richie, you kind of alluded to this a little bit. It's like, we have to figure out what the solution is, but the issue is I'm not sure there's a solution on the roster besides, besides a very healthy Gordon Hayward that, that dissipates some of those issues. Yeah. It's funny. I was, uh, I was thinking about all the past backup point guards that we've had in the past handful of years, but one of my favorite ones, I'm, I'm joking, obviously is Julian stone. I, I went to go look up to see what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Can you guys guess what country he's playing yeah, basketball in? Uh, Turkey, Lithuania, Italy, Italy. So, oh, okay, all right. Where's all right. Where's Joe Chile? Oh yes. Oh my. Oh my. God. You still at Greensboro? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there have been some. Uh, we even got a, a Jalen Crutcher right. sighting uh, late in this game. Um, yeah, man. I just. What's also kind of a bummer. Like, I mean, like, I think as the season progresses, Devonte Graham's like not even going to be in the Pelicans rotation. Like, maybe he will be to start the year, but like. I don't know, man. Jose Alvarado may have supplanted that guy as like the franchise backup point guard. Yeah, just tough because it's like, man, we could Charlie could really use that guy right now. As we said plenty of times last season, too. And it, look, Ish gave them some moments, but ultimately you used him in a trade to get Montrez Harrell, and that helped kind of. And then, but then, you know, he walks in free agency. And so one of the ball handlers that you did use some resources to sign is now plays for a a Western conference playoff team now that he's in Denver. So I, uh, I don't know what you do about that because I just don't think there are a ton of answers on the roster, say for like Lee mentioned, like having Hayward be just abnormally healthy and productive this season on the court. I do think too, like the possessions where I tweeted about this during the game, but like when Rozier is playing the one, uh, in Lamelo's on Lamelo's on the bench, like the half court set cannot just be space the floor pick and roll. Like it just that like the the first possession of Rozier the at one uh, the Hornets did that and Boston switched and it was like okay cool now what like it just it was no surprise it and the possession resulted in a you know end of the shot clock 
three that missed like those possessions. If Rozier's playing one, then you've really got to like dial up the scheme. Like it's just got like, you've got to, you've got to be running. It, you just got to be heavy on, on, on actions in those situations, I think. So, you know, it's cool to talk about how they touched the paint and got to the rim a lot last season, but there's a, there's a, Pretty big piece of that puzzle uh, that is missing this season. Yes, I, I just don't know how you. I, I mean, there's just no way to like simulate that or, or reproduce it unless you just like get development from Book Night. Doesn't look like that's quite there yet. You scheme it up, maybe that's a solution, or you get like really really good production from Gordon Hayward. But I don't know. I don't want to overreact too much to one preseason game. Richie, you mentioned they play again in a couple of days. Like. Hopefully it looks a little, a little bit better as things progress. Yeah, they play the Pacers on Wednesday, and then they get a rematch against the Celtics on Friday. So those are the first three games of the five-game slate in preseason. And then the opener is on October 19th. Uh, luckily, that's a day after my wife's birthday. Uh, if it was on my wife's birthday, I'm not sure I'd be able to watch it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't do that, man. You can't. Not on, not on the Could birthday. Could not do that, no. But uh, I appreciate yeah. everyone for joining us live. If you guys join late, uh, there will be a podcast version. If you want it ad-free, if you want it early, uh, consider checking out the link in the episode notes about our private BuzzBeat Plus feed uh, to enjoy those perks. For Lee, for Brian, I'm Richie. We'll talk to you guys later.